one of the most important things I think that's often overlooked in the life of a believer is this element of prayer. Because so many times we just pray when maybe we're in a place where there's something happening that seems catastrophic or something that we need really clear answers for because, man, there's something really just intimidating that's in front of us. And so we'll lean into prayer during those times or maybe when there's a crisis and then, oh, we've got to pray and we ask for prayer. We ask others to join us in those efforts. But I think that God didn't give us prayer just so we could use it as a tool to reach out to him when everything is going crazy. It's a regular way for the believer in Jesus to be able to deepen our dependence upon him, whether things are going great, going our way, or whether maybe we are in that crisis situation. And so understand the purpose of prayer is for us to really deepen that dependence upon him. And what it does when we deepen our dependence on him, it actually helps our heart to be in sync with the heart of the Father. It helps us to have our desires tempered to where we begin to want what God wants. And let me tell you, when the church begins to want what God wants for the same reason God wants it, that's a powerful, powerful thing. When we truly are being submitted to his will, his way, and we humble ourselves and say, God, we need you. And we recognize that we never stop needing him, even when things are going great in your life. So it's not a conditional-based thing on how my circumstances may be going at the time. And so we want to be a church that prays, amen? We want to be a people that pray because as we pray, we're deepening that dependence, saying, acknowledging the sufficiency of Christ, acknowledging how he is more than enough. And it's us saying, Lord, we are dependent upon you. We need you. And because when we are dependent upon him, he is glorified through us, man. He's glorified through us when we acknowledge our need, acknowledge our dependency. And so we want to be a church that prays. And so we have big vision that God has given us. We have clear direction of what God has given us to move forward because we are a church that is going to do things that's for these cities, that's for all people. And we want our church to have that heart that is truly bigger than Sunday, that our relationship with God, our purpose is bigger than Sunday. It's bigger than Bettendorf. We want to make an impact beyond our lifetime. And so as we look at opportunities to begin to pray together, yes, we have our prayer every Monday morning where you can come up here between the hours of 6 and 9 in the morning and 8.30. We kind of have a more gathering time where we have a little bit of worship and we may pray for some more pointed things. So you can always join that. But I want to invite you to join in on what we're calling prayer walks. And so we're going to start doing this more regularly here at BCC. I want this to be a part of our culture where we are a church that is walking these cities, allowing the things we see and the things that God may show us, the things the Holy Spirit may reveal to us as we're walking. Maybe there's just a burden that he puts on your heart. Maybe there's a person that's highlighted to you, whatever. As we're walking through these various cities that God's called us to reach, as we're walking through neighborhoods, as we're walking um, around schools, businesses, whatever the case may be, we want to allow ourselves to continue to have that increased burden for what God is doing in our hearts and through our church. And so I want to invite you, August 20th is going to be our first one that we do corporately as a church. And it's going to be from 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. We're going to meet here at the church 
over in the kids' main worship auditorium, and we're going to receive just a real brief training from one of our uh, global partners, actually, that's going to be here, that's going to help us. And then we want to be able to go out with confidence after we've been equipped, after we've gotten some instruction, and we're going to pray. Now, this isn't something that you have to walk the whole time. This isn't something that you have to uh, exert a lot of energy. This is for all ages. It's for all ability levels and all abilities. So I just want to invite you to lean into this, this idea of corporate prayer and praying over these cities. Because let me tell you, God's given us a burden, given us a heart to go out and plant churches, to go see people come to Christ. And we want to see that happen. But it starts with a deeper dependence. It starts with prayer. That's the foundation. It starts with us saying, God, we don't have this. We don't have all of our best strategies, all of our best ideas. All those things are great. But listen, if it isn't started with prayer and if it isn't continually covered in prayer, then it's us saying, God, we've got this. So let's start this thing off right as we lean into the vision and the mission that God's called us to to reach these cities for the kingdom. And let's start off by saying, God, we need you. Amen? And so I want to invite you to pray on August 20th. You can register. There's a QR code. You can grab that if you want to. But you're going to be hearing more about these. There's going to be more opportunities. This is going to become a regular part of our culture where we're inviting you into this. And so if there's people in uh, perhaps small groups that want to go launch out and do this together, I know that I was picking my kids up one night from uh, a, a party at uh, someone's home at, uh, for our student ministry. And there was a girl who runs around. She knocks on my window. She says, Pastor Derek, Pastor Derek. I said, what? And this young girl's name is Natalie. She said, Pastor Derek, Pastor Derek. She said, we have to do prayer walks as a church. I said, we're going to. And she was so, she said, no, 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 no. She said, I mean the whole church. I mean everybody. And I said, absolutely. And she said, she said, we just prayer walked my neighborhood. So Pastor Tom had kind of organized this where he kind of sent them out and uh, kind of told them a little bit of what to do. And they went out and prayer walked the neighborhood. And that young girl who knocked on my window just a few months back, she's going to be leading one of the adult groups. And she's going to be leading a group to go and prayer walk this city, these cities. And so let me tell you guys, this is all generations. This is all ages. This is a big deal, all right? So let's join in and let's deepen that dependence on God. August 20th, 4 to 6, and uh, meet over in the kids' room. So why don't we pray over this, and then we'll get into the Word this morning, all right? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity that we have to gather together. Lord, every time we gather, we know that you're here. Every time we gather, we just have a greater awareness, Lord, of you in us and you surrounding us. Every time we gather, Lord, you want us to be encouraged, challenged, Lord, convicted. Whatever you want to do, Holy Spirit, in us today. Equip us, use us for your glory, and send us, Lord, to do your will. We thank you for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. All right, well, we're starting a new series today called To My Non-Religious Friend. And the idea of this series is for us to understand the heart of the post-Christian culture that we find ourselves living in. You can see all sorts of things all that, ha that are happening around us. Maybe you read stuff in the news. Maybe you read stuff uh, online. Maybe you've seen uh, videos about different statistics and different reports of what's happening in our world so far as the way that Christianity is being attacked or the way that people are deconstructing this idea of Christianity. And so if we find ourselves in a post-Christian culture... We can either run and hide and just kind of stick together and just ignore what's happening outside of us, or 
We can be aware of what's happening around us. We can be aware of what's happening in the culture. And we can actually, as representatives of Christ, make it a priority to understand and to learn how to speak into that culture where people may be walking away from Christianity. I think that's a much more effective thing to do. A lot of people just want to huddle up and just stay together, our four and no more. But I believe that we are called to be salt and light. Amen? I think Jesus might have said that, right? Less than a third of Americans say that they trust the church. Isn't that wild? Less than a third of Americans say that they trust the church. Twelve evangelical Protestant churches close in America every single day. That's 86 each week. Why? Gen Z is the least Christian generation America has ever seen since our foundation. But yet, here's something really interesting. They're one of the most considering themselves spiritual that we've seen in several years. So, not interested in Christianity, but yet consider themselves very spiritual. They have a lot of spiritual questions. And then add on to that, a lot of people are hurt. They've experienced hurt in the church. They're wounded. They're angry. Some people are ashamed. Some people are upset because they felt misled. Some people just can't get over abuse or seeing prominent leaders fall. Some people just can't move past this idea of there being hypocrites who say one thing and do another, you know. There's a lot of reasons that we could sit here and unpack today. But what I'd rather us focus on today is what should our response be as believers in Jesus, as the church, and even specifically as BCC here in the Quad Cities? What should our response be to this falling away as believers in Jesus Christ? So let's go over to Romans chapter 5. This is going to be the text that anchors our message today. Romans, Romans chapter 5. <clears throat> Actually, I could have chosen almost any part of Romans. Um, but I really think that Romans 5, the Apostle Paul brings kind of this summation of this idea of what the gospel truly is. Because when a lot of people say the word gospel, they mean a lot of things. They, they paint with this broad brush when they say gospel. Some people say the whole Bible is, you know, the gospel. When someone says you need to hear the gospel, someone may interpret that as you just need to hear the whole Bible. Well, no, that's not what we mean when we say that. That word gospel is good news. And so we want to focus on not just anything that could be good, but let's focus on the overarching theme, this meta-narrative of the gospel that's woven all throughout Scripture. And I think Paul really sums it up here with this idea of what the ultimate good news is for every single one of us. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We could stop right there and I could preach like a 18-week series on that right there think about this we are now justified that's a legal term all right we are positionally in right standing we are justified right now present tense we have been justified by faith not by our works not what we've done not this karma-based system of trying to do more good than the bad that i've done to make up for it and tip the scales of justice in my favor no I've been justified by faith in what Christ has done, in Christ alone, Christ and nothing else. And because I have been 
put in this place, made righteous, made new, made alive in Christ. It says, I have peace with God because of Jesus Christ. I now am in right standing and have peace with God. So many people pray for peace. You've probably prayed for peace recently. We pray for peace for other people, especially when we see them struggling, when we see them going through something difficult. But what we're really asking for often when we pray for peace is that we're asking for God to help calm their mind, calm their emotion. And we're praying for this peace that kind of comes upon us, this peace that would like blanket us, wash over us, this good feeling of everything kind of being all, all is well, you know. But you cannot have the peace that is from God until first and foremost you have peace with God. So many people want to have this feeling of a relief of stress because how many of you guys could use a little less stress in your life? You know, you know, both hands, I don't know, amen on me. Like all of us could use a little bit less stress and tension and we all want that. Everyone wants that. Christian, non-Christian, everybody wants less stress in their lives. Everybody wants the peace of God to just wash over them. So we pray for peace, but you can't have it unless you first and foremost have peace with God. Unless you are in right standing with God. And there's nothing you can do in and of your own strength to make that reality happen. You can try. You can try to, to, to make yourself have peace. You can try to conjure up peace. You can even try to maybe do a lot of good things that make you feel good. But all that's temporary. Because every good deed you do, that good feeling you get, it'll go away. And stress will come back. Something bad will happen that will make you feel not good. And so you're just playing this game of trying to do good and trying to make yourself feel better. Or maybe I just need to get more sleep, you know. But you cannot have the peace that comes from God until you first and foremost have peace with God. And that is what the gospel gives. That is what Christ gives. That's why it's good news. Because we are in right standing and we have peace with God. That's why, man, it was so important going through 1 Peter. Because as we just wrapped up going verse by verse through 1 Peter, the whole idea of going through 1 Peter is that, man, the world is going crazy. There's all this stuff happening around me that I can't control, that, that's so difficult, that I want to change, but, but I can't change it all. But yet I can be changed by the gospel as I live in the middle of all this noise and I can still have peace even though there's chaos around me. I can, like Christ, be asleep in the boat while the storm's going on because I have peace with God. You see, I can know all is well because it is well with my soul. That means no matter what people may do to me, it, it, it'll hurt. It doesn't feel good. It causes me grief and sorrow. It, 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 it's not going to be easy. There's suffering involved. But even that is for the glory of God, and I can suffer well as unto Christ even through the difficulty, and still have peace in the middle of the challenge. Not just when everything's going my way. Amen, somebody. That's verse 1. Verse 2. Through him, we have also, so not only do we have peace, not only are we justified, but we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So there's this kind of tension that exists, and Romans 8 really unpacks this well, and so I would encourage you to go study Romans 8. It's my, one of my favorite uh, chapters in all of Scripture, and it unpacks this tension between kind of what I'm already experiencing versus this hope that 
I'm going to experience. And so there's this hope because it's not just a one-time faith decision and I'm good and, and, and now I can just kind of do whatever I want with my life. No, it's continual faith. It's continual hope. It's continual dependence upon him. We must understand this because we rejoice in this hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice. Here it is again. Man, you see this a lot in the New Testament. Where, was, where were these scriptures when I was growing up? <laughs> we rejoice in our suffering. Ah, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Listen to this next part, man. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's you and me. He died for us at the right time. Now, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps maybe for what we would call a good person, one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Yes, yes that is gospel, amen? Since therefore, since all of this, since Christ died for us, while we were still enemies, listen, he says, we have now been justified by his blood. And much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. So we're being saved not only now, we're not only justified now, but we're also being saved from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Man, it's always kind of disheartening when the pastor opens up the sermon with all these crazy statistics about how people are walking away from the faith, isn't it? Oh man, that's sad. It is. What do we do? Oh no, what are we going to do? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to do the same thing that every generation that has faced this challenge before us and every generation that will face this challenge after us is doing. And here is the answer. The gospel is the answer for every generation. Every generation. That's our big idea for the day. Is that the gospel is the answer for every generation. There's not a different answer for this generation than there was for generations past. And there's not a different answer for generations future. It's always the same answer because it truly is the gospel. And here's why. Because the gospel reaches us at the heart level. The gospel changes the heart. We try so much as a society and, and unfortunately even as the church has drifted into this idea of trying to change the external things that people do and the way they behave and the way that they think, and we try to do it externally. We try to reach them from the outside and try to fix the fruit of their lives when we don't recognize it's not necessarily the fruit that needs to be addressed, it's the root. And you can't fix the root of a person. You can't fix the core of a person, but the gospel does. 
because it requires that that root dies and that there's something new that is put in its place and it's no longer us who lives but it's Christ now who lives in us and the life that we live from that point on we live by faith in the son of God who gave himself for us amen you see this is what changes so many people man so many people get all out of sorts wanting to deal with every issue that comes across your newsfeed. Everything that comes, oh, oh, we gotta, we gotta talk about this. Oh, we gotta deal with this, we gotta deal with that. I've had meetings with people all the time telling me we gotta deal with this, we gotta deal with that, we gotta address this, we gotta address that. And yes, we do. And here's how we address it. The gospel is the answer. The gospel is the answer. The gospel is the answer. Marriages are, 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 are ending more in divorce than ever before. The gospel is the answer. People are struggling financially. The gospel is the answer. Because at the end of the day, it's a heart issue. And the gospel addresses the heart. The gospel addresses the heart. So here's the thing. The gospel requires that I acknowledge my sin. I've got to acknowledge my sin. That's, that's my response to the gospel. When I'm being impacted by the gospel, I acknowledge my sin. And this isn't just a one-time thing where I, I, I confess my sin and, and, and I'm forgiven and God saves me and now I'm a Christian. No, no, this is, this is something that we now, as believers, man, I acknowledge my sin. Because when I acknowledge my sin, I acknowledge I can't fix that problem that sin created even on my best day. And when I acknowledge, man, I can't fix that sin problem that I created, that from my disobedience, from my rebellion, then the gospel requires that Jesus did. And not only did he fix the sin problem, but he took the penalty for my sin, even to the point of death, because the wages of sin is death. All sin, not just some sin, the wages for sin is death. And Jesus did that. He took that for me. He died the death I deserved, but then he rose again victorious even over death. So now the de death has lost its sting, the grave has lost its victory. And faith in the gospel is the only thing that he requires. Because he wants us to believe what he did was sufficient. He wants us to trust that what he did was enough. And then I repent, man, I turn from that sin. That's my response I, I turn from that sin and I live a life of obedience now for his glory. And then as I continue to live and the gospel continues to impact me, continues to influence me, now the gospel is changing me and refining me as I learn to trust him more. As that faith is deepened, as my dependence is deepened. Man, I, that, that's why I, I wanted to put so much emphasis this morning on, on prayer and talking about these prayer walks and all that stuff and invite you to be a part of that. Because it's an invitation to welcome the Spirit in you in a way that, man, you can say, Lord, I want you. And I want to want and desire what you want for me. And I want to humble myself in a way where I say, I need you. That's a big deal to say, I need anyone, right? especially for guys, right? You got that, honey? You need some help? Nope. I got that. Next thing you know, you're bleeding. <laughs> or there's something broken, 
And your spouse is like, oh, honey, we need to take you to the doctor. I'm fine. <laughs> How many things have we denied help in? How many times have we denied help when we actually did need it? And we thought we had this on our own. There's something in us that wants to be self-sufficient. That thing in us that just wants to have the self-reliance. It was part of that fall in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve saw this tree of knowledge of good and evil and they chose for themselves and wanted to continue to choose for themselves and decide what was good and what was evil instead of trusting what God had already called good. Instead of trusting God's definition of good. And it's the same temptation you and I are faced with today. It's the same thing. Same temptation. It's almost like we're right back in front of that tree every single day. Matter of fact, the scripture says it like this, that this day life and death is set before you. Choose life so you might live, right? Like I have this idea, one is going to lead to death. If I keep choosing for myself my way, if I keep doing things my way, it's going to lead to death because I'm rebelling against God's definition of what he's already called good. I'm saying I want to define life for myself. I want to carve these things out for myself. And so many people live their lives selfishly, and then they treat God as if maybe he's just there to kind of help out every now and again. Like he's their little buddy, you know. <laughs> you know, he just helps them out. Oh, things are tough, and then here comes God. <laughs> and that's how so many people look at God, and, and, and they don't have a dependence upon him. They don't acknowledge that. They haven't, they haven't submitted themselves to the spirit. They haven't submitted themselves to the word they haven't allowed that to cultivate this atmosphere in their heart and renewed their mind to have this dependence. And some people think that they're just fine, they're good, and then, you know, when things get tough, oh, I'll just talk to God about it. Uh, that's not the point. That's not the heart of the gospel. We have to understand that the gospel is the answer to bring healing to wounded hearts and restoration to discouraged people. There's so much that God has done through what Christ has come and done for us this good news, this gospel. So we talk about people being disillusioned. We talk about people being wounded. We talk about people being disenfranchised. Or any other word you could use. Those are just the ones that came across my head as I was thinking about it. All the things that people do that they think justifies this and rationalizes in their own minds and helps them to settle this deconstruction of their faith walking away from the faith, oh, because this person's not real, that person's not real, this person said this, this person did that, man, the answer is still the gospel, it's still the gospel, because he's still welcoming you, he's still loving you right where you're at, in the middle of your sin, in the middle of you, 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 you walking away, in the middle of you throwing your hands up in the air and saying, oh, I don't want to be a part of this or be a part of that. No, it just hurt too much. And oh, they burned the trust and all those things. And yes, we, we need to be a part of helping people to heal by our, 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 our love and our faithfulness and our fruitfulness as we live our lives trusting in God and as we begin to show evidence or fruit of the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us, the, the fruits of the Spirit. Yes, we need all of that. But, but ultimately, it, it's going to be the gospel. Because it gets to the root, it gets to the core. And so we have to understand, man, when, when people are discouraged, we need to be anchored in this hope that we have. Because the gospel anchors my life when cultural pressure tries to force me to compromise. And, and I think that this is where we get mixed up. This piece right here specifically. Because all of us, we want people to like Jesus. 
And so sometimes we think we have to help Jesus out. <laughs> because as we look at the scripture, we go, there's some things that people might not like about Jesus. And so we're going to help Jesus out. We're going to make Jesus be presented in a certain way. And so we think the answer is to uh, make Jesus cool, right? Yeah, he's a cool Jesus. He's like, he's on a skateboard with like a robe, you know, and like some glasses and he's like throwing up deuces or something, you know. He's, he's doing like a sick trick, you know, on a skateboard. It's cool Jesus. And we think we need to help Jesus out. We need to make him more attractive to the world. We need to, we need to, we need to edit Jesus. Some people think they need to edit Jesus. You know, I know Jesus said this and that, but man, I don't think the world's going to like this other part. So we like, we'll help you out, Jesus. We got you, okay? Jesus doesn't need our help. Jesus doesn't need us to edit him and cause compromise in the church in order for people who don't know Jesus to like him. That's not the gospel. As a matter of fact, there were a lot of people who didn't like Jesus. But it wasn't because Jesus was a jerk. So there's the other side of this. Some people think, well, we're just gonna, we're just gonna stand for the truth and we're just gonna be big jerks to everybody in the name of truth and in the name of Jesus. Those people are not helping things. <laughs> because on the other side of that, we see in the scripture where we're supposed to live peaceably with everyone. We see this idea of we're supposed to be in the middle of this noise but still be a light. And so I'm not intentionally trying to cause conflict. I'm not intentionally seeking conflict out. I'm not trying to shame someone or wag my finger in their face or you know hit them over the head with you know my super big thick bible you know whack them real good and give them a good bible bruising that's not helpful and it's not helpful when the church that is supposed to be rooted and grounded in the love of christ because he's changed us by his gospel and we're supposed to be loving first and foremost to god and then secondly to one another as believers it doesn't help when we're not modeling that love. Because Jesus said that by this all men will know you're my disciples if you have love one for another. So it's actually the love that we have towards God and towards one another that becomes attractive to those who don't know Jesus. They see how the church treats the church and then they go, man, I want to be a part of that. That's different. That group of people is different. Those people have something that I don't have. There's something missing. They begin to see those holes, those gaps, because the church begins to model the love of Christ. Doesn't mean we're perfect. Doesn't mean we always get it right. But when we get it wrong, we reconcile, we repent. We live the gospel to one another. We serve one another with that same heart that is anchored in the gospel. The one that reconciled me, the one that was patient with me, the one that was gracious towards me, the one that the mercy is new every morning towards me, we do that to one another. And now all of a sudden, there's something different. You see in the book of Acts in chapter 2, you see how the church treated one another after they were impacted by the gospel. 3,000 people get saved. Woo-hoo! Yay! And then what's the next thing that happened? Acts 2, he starts talking about this in verse 42, all the way through 48, he starts to say, then all of a sudden these people started meeting in each other's homes. They started sharing the things they had. They weren't worried about their possessions. They made sure everybody was taken care of. They were more concerned about one another than they were themselves. They met together and, and talked about the teaching of the apostles. They regularly listened to that and discussed it. They were growing. They, they, were, they were fellowshipping together. They were receiving communion. They were glad. They were joyful. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. 
because there was fruitfulness in their lives, because the gospel had impacted them, not through compromise, not through them trying to dress Jesus up, make him somehow more attractive to the world. No, no, no. By allowing the gospel to transform them. And the, go- the gospel will anchor my life. Because, man, we will be tempted to compromise. We will be. We're, we're tempted all the time. But yet we can stand boldly. But yet also, we can also be people who are filled with gentleness and patience. While still simultaneously being bold. Sometimes we get caught up in these extremes. We think it has to be this or that. I think I have to be a doormat or I have to be a jerk. You know, <laughs> it's like th- those are the two extremes that we think we have to be as Christians. When the tension is actually, no, I need to be bold. Yes, I will need to stand for things. And I will need to say things that are going to offend some people and that they're not going to agree with. But I'm also going to be patient and gentle. I'm also going to be kind. I'm also going to continue to serve other people, even those I disagree with. You see, it's in that tension. And we don't like that. We just want it to be this or that. We don't like that tension. But yet the tension is what we're called to. We're called to the tension. We're called to that place. Don't shout me down this morning. And that tension, that tension is actually part of our suffering with Christ. The gospel increases my capacity for compassion. You want to know why? Because it reminds me of my need. The gospel increases my capacity for compassion. Man, when I think about the pure gospel, when I think about what Christ has done for me that I couldn't do for myself, when I think about Romans chapter 5, I think, wow, God sure has been really kind and compassionate and gracious towards me. Amen? Amen. And when I receive that, now it gives me the opportunity to be a distributor and a giver of that. You see, so many Christians look at themselves as containers. We look at ourselves as we're trying to just get all the Jesus we can, all the Bible knowledge we can, all the study we can, all the praying we can, and we think somehow it's for us. And it's all for us. And we, and we put a lid on it, and we like put a date on it, and we put it on the shelf, right? We're just storing all this Jesus up for us. We're storing all these good things up for us. When all the good things that God has done to me and in me, it's not meant to end with me. For it to truly glorify God, not only does he do this in me, but he moves and does this through me. So we are not containers. Rather, see yourself as a conduit. See yourself as someone who is being poured into so you can pour, be poured out of. You are a jar of clay. A jar is not meant to just store something and let it go rotten. No, we are poured into so we can be poured out of. And so that means that anything, listen, listen, get this. Anything that God does in your life that makes you pause and go, whoa, God. You just did this thing, and I recognize it was you. And I see how you're moving in my heart and in my life. Anything he does in you and to you, you need to recognize, I need to not just keep this for myself. Because he's wanting to do this through me. And I need to give. You see, as we freely receive, we freely give. So what that means is that when you feel this relief and this blessing and this joy that comes with forgiveness of sin, praise God, aren't you thankful? He forgave me. I can marvel at the fact that I am forgiven. 
all of the junk I've done, all of the bad things I've said, all the bad decisions, I am forgiven. But man, that person over there, let me tell you, I'm not letting that go. Hold on. There's a disconnect with the gospel. The gospel should increase my capacity for grace, for mercy, for patience, to be able to love other people who may not have yet responded or received the gospel. It tempers the way that I look at other people. So when I look at people, <laughs> when I look at people, you're going to have, listen, you, you, <laughs> listen, election years are the best time for us to exercise the gospel working in our lives. Because you are about to be inundated. This is just the beginnings of it, right? You're about to be inundated on your social media, on television, in the newspaper, in conversations at the coffee shop. There are about to be so many opportunities for you to exercise the gospel. Because you are about to hear a lot of things you don't like. And there's going to be a lot of opportunities for you to have conversations with people who don't think like you. And there's going to be a lot of opportunity for you to rally around people that you can judge and criticize someone else and really not be a good representation of the gospel. Or you could take that opportunity and you could be gospel-centered with it because that person that maybe you're not going to vote for, that person that you're hoping doesn't get elected, Jesus died for that person just as much as he did for you. That enemy overseas in a war that we're fighting, Jesus Christ died for that person and there is hope. Oh, I don't like that. Man, I know. I know, but Jesus told us to pray for our enemies and those who despitefully use us. Oh, that's hard. It's easy to preach and it's hard to live out when it comes face to face with you, right? That coworker, that boss, that person you don't like. Yep, them too. Thanksgiving's coming up soon, them too. <laughs> right? All of these moments that are tension-filled give us opportunity to have our capacity increase because we remember, man, God was so patient with me. The gospel has been so good to me, and I, I love receiving it because, man, I want that peace that comes from God by having a peace that's with God. Whew, I want that. Thank you, Jesus, for this peace. And he wants that for others as well. And you and I are representatives of the gospel. We're representing Christ in the earth. We're ambassadors for Christ. Amen, church? And so allow the gospel to increase your capacity for compassion by reminding yourself that you too were once an enemy, that you once were estranged, that you once were at odds. And now, because of grace, and because you've responded in faith, and, and even the faith that you have, Ephesians 2 and verse 10 says, even the faith that you have is a gift from God. So you can't even boast about that. You can't even go, well, I had the faith to believe. God's like, yeah, I gave you that. That's not something even from you. You see, it brings all the glory to God. All the attention goes to God. All of the thankfulness, all the glory goes to him. So I can't pat myself on the back, lest any man should boast. Amen, church? Our response to the crisis in American church is to return to a gospel-centered, gospel-influenced, gospel-led lifestyle. That's the answer. So stop getting sidetracked and divided over preferences. 
and instead start seeking your own need for Christ and start seeking the fact and recognizing the fact that he is sufficient to meet your deepest need because you could not reconnect yourself to God on your best day, on your best behavior. And isn't, isn't this interesting? Every human on the planet has this need, and they all recognize it at a certain level. Every one of us do. Every person recognizes this. Whether they've even never heard the name of Jesus, they recognize there's something off about us that needs to be fixed. Because every person, without having to be educated to do so, without having to be taught to do so, they want to try to do something good, and they want to try to influence something good, because where does, where does this, this, this idea of trying to maybe help another person out come from? Where, if, if all we are is just matter in the universe, where did this identity come from? Where did this nature come from? This human nature, we call it. There's something in us that's trying to fix something. We're always trying to fix something and make it better. Where did that come from? Why do we even care? Why are we trying to make someone else's life better? Why are we trying to help that homeless person in need? Even if I'm not a believer in Christ, where does all of that come from? Where, where does all that just come from? Where, where does compassion come from? Where does, why do we even care? It's because God created us in his image. And there's something in us that's calling and yearning to be reconnected and reconciled and reunited to God because we recognize something's off and we're trying to fix it on our own, but we can't. Because we could try and try and try and try. We could try to fix it. We could try to be do-gooders. We could try to be moral to make ourselves feel better, but it's a temporary feeling good. It's going to go away and then I've got to keep doing good to make myself feel better. Because I know I'm still not at peace, but I don't know who with, but it's with God. And you're wrestling with God if you're trying to do enough good to somehow soothe and ease your conscience. You see, the answer is Jesus. He's the one who reconciled that right relationship between us and God because we could never do it on our own. And we have to realize He is enough. Amen, church? We have to seek his kingdom, seek his heart, and be influenced by his word and the Holy Spirit because we realize Christ is enough. And it's not a one-time thing, amen? You see, the watching world that isn't interested in institutional Christianity, they don't need another gimmick. They don't need another Jesus on a skateboard. <laughs> they don't need another cool worship set. They don't need interesting preaching with a humorous and entertaining preacher. They don't need to be taught applicable life skills or have promises of health and wealth, what the world needs is a heart, is a church with a heart for Jesus and a burden to serve that fights for unity among themselves, that cares and loves for, for people right where they are, broken and all, just like Jesus did, because that is the gospel. The gospel is good news, and the good news is you were lost, but now you're found. The good news is you were blind, hopeless, trying to tip the scales of justice in your favor. And all of that work of trying to be enough is over because Christ has become enough so you can rest now because you have peace with God. 
You can have confidence in him. And now, from this point, your identity doesn't have to be in your sexuality. Your identity doesn't have to be in your gender, the amount of money that you make, the house you live in, how fit you are physically, how much of a do-gooder that you are, how moral you are, how you vote, what others think about you, because your identity is now wrapped up in Christ alone because he's sufficient, because he's enough. That's what the gospel does to the heart of man. That's what the gospel does to us. And we are his church, his body. Each year in the Quad Cities, an average of 5,242 people die every year in the Quad Cities. Also in the Quad City area, we are number 15 on Barna's 2019 list of most post-Christian cities in the United States of America. Those statistics have the Quad Cities at less than 48% claiming Christianity. So what that means is that every year in the Quad Cities, an average of 2,728 people die in our area and enter into a Christless eternity. Or to bring it really close to home, we could say seven people per day in the Quad City area are entering into a Christless eternity and they die. Seven people a day. And so, when I think about the gospel being an answer, and I think about us being called to be salt and light, and I think about the fact that we need to be a praying church, man. I think about the fact that what God's called us to do is bigger than Sunday. It's bigger than Bettendorf. And we want to make an impact and change the landscape of heaven by doing things that are beyond even our lifetime, where we're sowing seeds, where we're watering seeds, and God is bringing the increase. But we're doing the work of ministry. We're being equipped, and we're being sent out. We're not just coming in here and playing a game. Where we recognize eternity is at stake and we're living our lives accordingly. Where we recognize the gospel is the answer. Not all these tricks, not some new fad, not interested in that. Trying to be cool, not interested in that. The church has tried that. It's corny. It doesn't work. <laughs> it makes us look goofy. It doesn't work. It doesn't help our message. No. Compromise. Man, it doesn't work. What well, works? The same thing that's always worked. The gospel is the answer for every generation. The gospel is the answer for your relationships. The gospel is the answer for your situation at work. Lean into the gospel of Jesus Christ and watch how he begins to work in your heart what needs to be worked. Maybe you recognize that he's not going to change your circumstance for you, but he's changing you in the middle of your circumstance. So what do we need to do? Well, we need to repent. And when we repent, it's not just saying, God, I'm sorry. It's saying, I'm turning away from this former way of thinking, this former way of living. And we need to rest in the finished work of the gospel. When Jesus said, it's finished, we can rest knowing I belong to him and I can be at peace with God. I don't have to toil anymore and try to earn something from God. I don't have to try to qualify myself anymore. But now I can be impacted and influenced and receive this message. I can go out and live it. The gospel is the answer for every generation. So what I want us to do, man, we have to return to this place. And so I want to invite our prayer team to go ahead and come up. And maybe if you need prayer this morning, maybe if the Holy Spirit's been working on you today and you're like, man, I feel like I need to respond to the gospel. I need somebody to pray for me. We, we want to do that. But what I want you to do 
I want you just to reflect and I want you, let's just, let's just have a corporate reflection and repentance of, Lord, we, we, we've missed this, man. We, because it would be so easy for me to get up here in a, in a sermon series that we're kicking off today called To My Non-Religious Friends. <laughs> and I get up here and I could just beat up all the people who don't think like us. And I could just say, man, how bad it is out there and, and how wrong it is and, and all, all that stuff. We could have that conversation, man. We could talk about that. But instead, I want us to start off by looking at ourselves, looking at the church, looking at us, looking in the mirror. I want us to start there. I want us to ask God, Lord, are we where we need to be in our dependence on you? Because the answer really and, and truly is no for all of us. And, so, Lord, help us. And so, whatever he's calling you to repentance, I want us to spend just a few minutes doing that in repentance. If, if you need someone to pray with you, minister to you, man, we want to do that too. But I just want us to get back to that place where we are focused on the goodness of God and focused on the beauty of the gospel and that our life is an overflow of that and we're being fruitful as a church, that we're being people who are deepening that dependence, that we go out and we'll canvas neighborhoods in prayer. That will prioritize those things. We'll prioritize gospel-centered living. So can we just take some time and just reflect this morning before we go?